This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 2.30 in the afternoon. It's Sunday, the 20th of November, and we're getting some interesting headlines crossing the news wires, one of which is that there's a statement coming from Istana Nagara uh, asking coalition partners to submit who is, well, actually all of them, to form a majority government by 2pm tomorrow and tell us who their PM candidate is. That's right. The Young Dipatuan Agong has ordered Dewan Rakyat Speaker Tan Sri Azza Azizan Harun to get leaders from the respective coalitions and parties that have won the elections to inform the Istana Nagara of the number of seats via alliances which would help form the government. So it looks like it's going to be a very intense 24 hours, right? Because we have, it's 2pm now. It's 2pm yep. when we will finally 24 know. 24 hours. 24 Let's hours. Let the horse trading begin. I think, yeah. Well, it's going to be very, very interesting uh, horse trading. But in the meantime, uh, we are focusing, we're still going to continue our discussions in terms of what happened overnight. And like we did, what we do know is, of course, the Election Commission announced that no coalition has gained enough seats outright to form a government. Pakatan Harapan has the most seats with 82, while Perikatan National has 73. Meanwhile, Barisan only won 30 out of the 178 seats it has contested. So what does this mean for the Malaysian political landscape and what shape will the next government take? For some initial reactions to the results and also the statement from the palace, we speak to Dr. Trisha Yeo, CEO of Think Tank Ideas. Good afternoon, Trisha. Now, what was the biggest surprise of the evening for you? Hi, good afternoon. Nice to be back here. I think it's been a sleepless night for many people. <laughs> Um, the biggest surprise? Uh, well, I mean, I think there were, let's just say, some things that were not a surprise to me in, at, uh, in the first place. So we knew that PH would have the largest number of seats as a coalition, but not enough to form a simple majority. That's one. Um, number two, I have also, I had also expected a negotiation between PNBN, GPS and GRS to take place, which is exactly what is happening right now. That's two. Um, the third, I think, thing that was probably then surprising for me in the yes in the in the results that came out yesterday was actually just how significant Perikatan National and PAS has risen from. <laughs> I mean, not not the ashes, but I think none of the polling agencies actually expected them to do really as well as they have done. Um, the expectation was that BN would do better than PN, but BN's performance has been the poorest in its history. Um, from 2018 already, it did not do as well as its previous elections, but I think, you know, at 30 seats, it really is decimated and there will be mm. questions about its internal transformation moving forward. So I think the question now on everyone's mind would be for Ikata National, pass. PAS has a lion's share of seats. I think as a single party, it has the largest number of seats um, at 49 and a Ikata national total 73. So the question moving forward is, what is PAS going to be like? I think whatever federal government is formed, um, it will likely include a PAS element. And, um, you know, just understanding what kind of a PAS federal government we will have a stronger pass. You know, we do have pass in federal government just at the point of dissolution, but it was not as strong as evidently what it's going to be now. So with pass infused in government, how does the agenda change uh, for the next four or five years? What do you see 
uh, is going to be debated extensively in Parliament as a result of a much stronger and robust pass. Of course, I would like to think and hope that they will continue to champion some of the anti-corruption initiatives that they were using very much, right, in the campaign, in the general election. And I think also from my own personal experience working in ideas, um, as you know, we have been uh, the secretariat for this all-party parliamentary group on political financing over the last couple of months this year. And the chair of that APPG on political financing was actually from PAS. So one of the younger PAS MPs uh, from Kelantan, his name is YB Ahmad Fadli. Uh, and he was actually a pleasure to work with. You know, he was professional. He believed in all the things that we were championing, um, putting forward the act for a more equal level playing field among all political parties. So that at least has been something positive on our side at least. Um, I can't say the same for the rest of the past MPs. I think that there's not been enough reaching out from their side to make people from the outside really understand what they stand for. Mm. So hopefully they will continue championing this sort of governance, you know, institutional reform type uh, theme. Uh, and I think also if we take a page out of the Trunganu Menteri Basar, and Trunganu obviously is a past-led state government, um, they have also performed really well. I mean, the, the Menteri Basar yeah. has been quite forward-looking. Uh, when Ideas did its uh, Malaysia Open Budget Index, which tracks the transparency levels of all state government budgets across the country, uh, surprisingly, it was not Penang or Selangor that came out tops, but Trunganu. And the MP, the MB in Trunganu was very proud of this. Uh, achievement. He shared it widely on his social media. It's something that, you know, they, they are proud of. So I think those are two examples, like very real life on the ground examples that I can share with you and the listeners here. However, um, I do think that there will be questions from among, especially the non-Muslim electorate, about whether or not PAS will continue to champion more religious type policies um, and of course, increase the allocation, for example, to Jakim, which is the central Islamic body in the country. Yeah. So, so um, yeah. So hence, you know, Trisha, I guess the issue is that, you know, all of us here, we kind of paint PASS with the same brush. But when with the new cohort of PASS MPs coming through, do we have a sense of this intake, you know, how progressive they are? Are they, are they basically the same bunch as before, but just expanded larger? Or are they a diverse bunch of MPs with also very differing views within that PASS group? I think I think that we all need to understand the history of past and past itself as a party has gone through a lot of transformations itself. You know, it's gone through this cycle of being very ultra conservative and then after that being more inclusive and then going back to being conservative. So it, it's gone through many loops and cycles, right? Mm. So the past that we're seeing now, yes, is on that particular conservative trajectory. But the other thing to understand about past is that it's an extremely hierarchical party. If we think of political parties in Malaysia as being as being hierarchical, uh, PAS is the most of that. Um, and to see that in this election, they actually put forward some of the young MPs, the young professional MPs as the faces. Uh, I think I saw a couple of posters putting forward like, okay, you know, these are the young uh, MPs representing PAS. I think that's already a step forward, you know, I mean, for a party like that. Mm. Uh, so, so that's to understand the party's makeup itself. Um, as for how open-minded and progressive the young MPs are, it's really hard to tell because, again, being that kind of a party, they've not 
uh, done enough to put forward their young faces the way that that DAP and PKR have done. I mean, I think we know the young faces of DAP and PKR, but we know very little about the young faces of past. And so it really takes both sides to do that kind of reaching out. Uh, on our side, we reached out to them to chair our APPG. And I think through that relationship, uh, we want to do more with PASS. Um, I mean, look, let's face it, right? PASS with 49 seats, largest number of seats in parliament, uh, they're here to stay, right? I think this is just the start of people maybe realizing the significance of PASS and also realizing um, just how traditional the large bulk of and the majority of Malay Malaysians actually are. And, uh, you know, wh while there's a lot of attention given to PASS, I think the other thing that we need to also unpack is when people voted for PN, like what did they vote for? You know, it's the same question of in 2018, a lot of people assume people voted for PH because they believed in reforms. Um, now it sounds like the assumption is a lot of people voted for PN because there's a rising conservatism. I think we need to be a bit careful here. So people could have voted for PN because they simply rejected Barisan National um, and they didn't believe in their leadership. Or they also could have voted because they liked PASS and PASS mm. is a clean alternative. So we, it's difficult, I know, in a short radio interview to be able to uh, unpack every detail, but I, I think I would just caution against making two sweeping generalizations about the reasons for which people bent in one direction or the other. Yeah, I guess at this current juncture, we have very little detail and granular detail available to us as to how people actually voted, what was in their mind when they actually put an X on in their ballot, pap uh, ballot papers. But Trisha, you know, what about the, you know, some of the reforms that we've been talking about? Does coalition politics delay it though, or does it actually push that agenda forward? So it depends on the makeup of the coalition itself, right? Yes. So if we are talking about a PNBN type of a coalition, then uh, and then of course if you look at the things that they promised in their manifestos, again, I don't know how much credence we should give to manifestos because they can be very easily forgotten. But there are some minimum things that PN, for instance, did talk about. So it talked about um, you know, again, the MA63, it, there was a little bit of mention of political funding restrictions. Um, there was talk about, you know, empowering uh, senators for youth, uh, anti-corruption court. BN talked about separation of powers between the public prosecutor and attorney general. So these things are there. It's just about, it's you see, it's not just about the politicians making decisions, right? Mm. We as society, as business, as think tankers, as the public intellectuals, whatever you like, um, we need to create conditions that can show and demonstrate, incentivizing them that there will be merits and benefits for them to pursue these paths. Right now, they don't, they don't necessarily see it because, because elections means that they can secure those votes whether or not they pursue these reforms. So it really is, I think, what, what we've been trying to do at least at Ideas is to be able to show to them that, look, there is value in you doing this, that people will appreciate it, that there will be a form of payback mm. um, because we understand what makes you tick as well. So I think having this kind of understanding 
is going to make all of us together collectively see some kind of pursuit of reform in the future. It's not just about pitting one against the other, but how do we collectively come to an agreement about what's best for everyone. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these messages where we continue our conversation as to maybe who might be the next Prime Minister of Malaysia. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. Thanks for staying tuned. Battle for Malaysia, BFM's GE15 results coverage continues. On the line with us is Dr. Trisha Yeo, CEO of Think Tank Ideas. Now, Trisha, what we do know is a headline coming out of Istana Nagara that... that uh, the next government, or at least the coalition, must present to the Istana by 2pm tomorrow that they have the majority. Uh, what do you think is going to happen in the next 24 hours then, Trisha? Whatever has already been happening in the last 24 hours, <laughs> uh, which is the ongoing negotiations, I'm sure that all parties have been reaching out to each other, having meetings. Um, as you said earlier, uh, there is already a Mohidin well, very public, right? And visible meeting between Muhyiddin, um, Hadi Awang from PAS and Abang Jo from GPS. So that's ongoing. Um, the Among the negotiations that are going to be taking place now will be over number one, who is the prime minister? Number two, who gets the deputy prime ministerships, plural, um, because we know that there were also commitments. Like in the BN manifesto, they actually already said that there'll be three DPMs, uh, one from Peninsula, one from Sabah, and one from Sarawak. So whether or not, you know, uh, BN, if they're part of this, would be committing to follow that through. Um, and then number three, of course, the, the distributions of the various senior people within the cabinet ministries. Um, Ideas actually issued a statement earlier this morning cautioning against entirely patronage-based appointments as a basis for negotiations over the government formation. We encouraged and called that the negotiations should also include policy. Um, I don't know how far this is going to happen. I can't imagine that the leaders are sitting there talking about the various acts that need to be passed. <laughs> we can all uh, wish for that. You know, we, we can, we can wish. wish. And of course, as a, think, as a think tank, you know, we just had to put that in there. Of course. Um, so that's what's going to be happening over the next 24 hours. And of course, uh, yeah, ultimately, if GPS and GRS are in, I also foresee that there will be quite a large number of concessions given to Sabah and Sarawak uh, over and beyond what has already been promised, right? So you already have, for, for example, um, Sabah and Sarawak have already won the debate over the 5% sales tax on oil and gas, uh, they have already set up their own oil and gas companies. Um, they've already asked for a greater number of parliamentary seats moving forward. So beyond what they already have, um, I think it will really be interesting to see what kind of concessions are given. And of course, from someone who's not from Sabah and Sarawak, I mean, I'd be interested to know whether some of these decentralization type policies will only be mm -hmm. exclusively given to Sabah and Sarawak or is it something that can also cut across the peninsula? Because don't forget, I mean, we have a highly centralized government, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But I mean, I think the details of policy will 
probably not be laid out very much. It really is about position, position um, mongering at the moment. Yes, I mean, I think that I think you have a very interesting point that there are many lessons that we can apply here, right, from Sarawak Sabah to be applied across the states here. But the reality is in the next 24 hours is really deciding who are the two prime minister candidates. Is it Inche Anwar Ibrahim or is it Muhyiddin Yassin? But my question is, I think key to making that selection will be Barisa National being as part of contention. And my thought is, and thought question is, can Zahid Hamidi really be the chief negotiator on behalf of Barisa National since there have been so many calls for his resignation already within UMNO? Yeah, I think that's the flaw here, right? That uh, we assume that only one person will be permitted to negotiate on behalf of the party, uh, given Zahid's very fragile position in the party, seeing that he only won with only a 300 over vote margin and Ismail Sabri actually widened his margin compared to the previous election. Um, I don't know who exactly the Agong will be calling to have a meeting uh, as far as representing BN is concerned, but it's true that I think Zahid is in a particularly precarious position. The NB of Johor has already said as much, um, calling for his resignation. And that's actually quite a big thing, I think, coming from within AMNO. Uh, again, going back to this whole thing about AMNO really needing to think long and hard about its own transformation moving forward. Um, but I hope that whatever happens, and we have also said this in our statement, that uh, the Yandi Patuan Agong will preside over this process uh, wisely in a, in a kind of process oriented um well that yeah, rule of rule of law based process because i think what happened during the Sheraton move still left a lot of people unclear as to what actually happened and uh, i think this is really important to regain sort of public confidence in the institution of the palace as well so i think i'll, I'll leave it as that all right thank you so much for your time that was dr trisha yo ceo of think tank ideas uh yeah reminding us that it's this great unknown i think nothing much is going to change in the next 24 hours loss lots of discussions behind the scenes as to who's going to form the next government of malaysia everybody the magic number today is one, 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 one. one. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think... thought that was a test for me and I'm glad it passed. <laughs> well done, Philip C. But that marks the end of the GE15 coverage for now. Battle for Malaysia BFM's GE15 results coverage continues tomorrow at 7am. The friendly crew of the morning run will bring you the latest news and developments. That's really? me, Philip C. Yeah, we are quite friendly. Okay. Until then, enjoy the rest of the afternoon. To take us out is Stop Dragging My Heart Around by Stevie Nicks and Tom Petty. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.